What is the Podcast Matrix? The Podcast Matrix is your source for podcast media hosting. Get your entire podcast library hosted now at podcastermatrix.com. When you hear the words Friday the 13th, what do you think of? While most will recollect a certain impossible-to-be-killed masked individual bearing sharp weapons of all kinds, there's another Friday the 13th that deserves attention. In 1987, Friday the 13th, the series, created a rich tapestry of completely original storytelling. Based on a series of curious, devilishly enchanted objects that must be recovered and returned to the vault to prevent truly dark fates from befalling their owners. This is the detailed revisit and review of the adventures of their reacquisition. Episode by episode. You won't find any hockey masks here. This is the Curious Goods Podcast from Two Guys Talking Horror. It sucks to wake up to see that you've got 666 scratched into your chest and to be fully aware that you've murdered a nun but don't know why. It's time to take on the second portion of the next 43 minutes of The Prophecies, where we find out what's happened to Ryan Dalian, what fate awaits Sister Adele and the rest of our merry band of antique recoverers. It's time for the Curious Goods Podcast, a retelling, a revisit, and complete educational detailing of each and every episode of Friday the 13th, the series. This time, Season 3, Episode 2. The Prophecies, Part 2. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. Nick, some quick housekeeping. Two guys talking horrors work. For those of you that either didn't remember or aren't paying attention. <laughs> Nick is the curator and manufacturer of two guys talking horror content over at the two guys talking podcast network. And I have to tell you during specifically the months of October over the course of the last five years, Nick, your workload and your friends workloads are insane. There's so much fun watching your love of Halloween of all things creepy mm. and the manufactured horror awesomeness that comes this time of year. And I want to make sure that everybody goes and gets a sniff of it over at two guys talking horror.com. There's also so much horror over there. And for those of you that are curious, you all know that I'm not the horror guy. <laughs> that guy is the horror guy. That's and the me. reason that he is the horror guy is because he's great at showcasing why horror impacts us. So go check it out over at two guys talking horror.com. Nick, there's so much to jump into here with the retail. Let's get to the end of Ryan Dalian. The last time we spoke inside an episode of the Curious Kids podcast, Ryan was left inside of an alley. Three numbers were scratched onto his chest. Six, six, six. And nothing good was happening. As Ryan looks at the numbers on his chest, he screams, No! And hauls off into the alleyways of, of the Frenchy French ass small town. 
Mickey decides to call Johnny to talk about the far too many weird things that are happening here inside the Frenchy French town. Time for Johnny to go to France! Why does Johnny need to go to France? Because Mickey can't depend on Ryan, and well, he'll be there as soon as he can. Ryan's mom looks at Johnny and asks, What is going on over there? But it's time for Johnny to find out, and so Frenchy French word he goes. A thunderous pounding at Mickey's door, and it's the Frenchy French police! They're seeking out one murderous Ryan Dalian who isn't there. And so off to the precinct they all go. Back in the States, Johnny is still comforting Ryan's mom, who is dealing with tons of guilt. I don't deserve his love. But Johnny confirms that everyone deserves a second chance. Murderous possessed Ryan Dalian arrives back at the local hospital and heads for Jack Marshak's hospital room. He pleads with the unconscious Jack to wake up, and he confesses that he's killed Sister Adele, and he doesn't know why. Tears of pain and guilt spill from Ryan's eyes as his pleas continue to Jack Marshak. Man of I'm not conscious right now action. Down the street inside the back lot, Astaroth has a new lair. It's inside a graveyard inside of a mausoleum building where there's a skeleton, creepy lights, webs, and the Book of Lucifer. Now adjacent to the altar, Astaroth begins chanting. I And Ryan is once again taken over and jumps through the ranging picture glass window inside Jack's hospital room. He lands on the ground, stands up and sprints away and looks amazingly like the Hulk from the television series, seeking out an absolution that will never be found. That's a wonderful Bill Bixby impersonation, Mike. Back at the Frenchy French precinct, Mickey is being raked over the Frenchy French police coals and they want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Mickey wants a telephone call, but nope. First, there's gonna be truth. I told you, you can't handle the truth. Ryan has found his way back to Astaroth's lair and is being given the mark of Lucifer. A child will lead them. Uh, uh now how is it gonna work? Uh, we'll find out right after this commercial break. Shortly after the commercial break, Sister Adele is already being taken to the funeral ceremony and is being adulated by the town, who are chanting her name, singing the praises of a holy angel who has been taken far too soon. They make their way to the church with candles aplenty to honor the fallen symbol of righteousness. Oh, a taxi pulls up and, oh hey, it's Johnny. Isn't that convenient? Now that was one quick flight. Johnny enters into the Frenchy French Hotel, you know, the only hotel inside of this giant town, and asks which room Mickey's in. The innkeeper then tells him that they've taken Mickey to the Frenchy French Police Station. As he arrives at the Frenchy French Police Station, he finds Mickey and the lieutenant, who both spill the details of what Ryan's been accused of. Mickey and Johnny then just leave. They go to hunt for Ryan. Ryan watches it all unfold from the middle of town, right there in front of everybody. From the shadows, though, so I can see why they'd miss him. And evades the police. Until, of course, it's time to visit with Chris. You all remember Chris? Chris is the wheelchaired girl that we met inside the airport where everything was good. Well, it's not so good. I can take you to the right place to be healed. He nabs the girl and heads hellward. Brian Dalian. 
kidnapper, murderer of nuns, and assaulter of those in leisure suits. Time to fulfill Satan's promise. Time for Lucifer's ascension. Ryan manhandles Chris's father, you know, the dude in the blue leisure suit, like he was a potato chip, and continues his trek to all that is unholy with young Chris in literal wheeled toe. Across town, the townsfolk quickly amass at the shrine. In front of the shrine, the township father begins his eulogy of Sister Adele. The township father pleads to the amass group in front of the shrine for group belief as they pray together. Their prayers continue to grow and waft on the air, leading on the air across town into the hospital room of one sleeping unconscious Jack Marshak. Inside his brain, inside his memory, he's running around, seeing things, all these cool things. It's all coming together. It's all being smashed together because it's cool pieces. And it's all a frickin' flashback sequence that means something that allows Jack to wake up inside the hospital room. Jack Marshak. Man inspired by the word of God to wake up and save the wheelchaired child from the spawn of Satan action. Ryan arrives with the child in his arms. Astra tosses the existing skeleton of someone unconsequential aside and welcomes the new child. Astaroth begins reading from Lucifer's book, just as the wheelchaired girl is asking for safe harbor from her own god. Our god, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Astroth begins removing the leg braces from the afflicted young child and begins a dark chant. Suddenly, her legs move! While strolling through the foggy burg of Frenchy Frenchtown, Jack Marshak finds Leisure Suit Larry, you know, the father of the wheelchaired girl, Chris, and asks where his child is, because, of course, he would ask that because they all met before. Oh. Anyway, Leisure Suit Larry shares the details. Then up walks Mickey and Johnny, and they can't quite believe that that guy's got a leisure suit on. Oh, and the Jack is all right and talking and walking and seeking out Ryan and knows anything about the child that he's never met or knew anything about. It's hmm. the word of God. Weren't you paying attention? Oh, it's oh. the whole reason why he came out of his coma. Sorry. Back inside the lair, the girl stands. Amazing. All thanks to Satan, but guess who won't thank Satan? Chris. Bingo! Astroth encourages her to praise the Dark Lord for her recently given gifts. She refuses and falls back to the altar. Astroth begins another dark chant that begins to make the altar pounce, bounce, and churn with energy. The township father across town in front of Adele's memorial continues his own prayer along with the township in tow. Astroth grabs a bony dagger. How bony is it? It's so bony, you know, it's actually a bone. How about that? That's pretty amazing. Anyway, he grabs it from a table adjacent to the altar and confirms that he will now kill the child. And then the devil will take on her body with his power. Lightning flashes across a graveyard as the little girl pleads to Ryan to snap out of his possessed murderous lunacy for him to find a way to intervene. And Ryan does. He puts his body over the little girl's and is stabbed to the torso from behind. He looks at the little girl and says, 
Pray for me. He then spills onto the floor and transforms into a little boy? Huh? Astaroth confirms, The prophecy has been fulfilled! But the father continues to pray as a massive and blessed light appears. It's brighter than the sun and begins to shine everywhere. Into the graveyard, into the lair, eventually igniting Astaroth's arm ablaze. The girl once again stands, and Jack Marshak grabs the body of the now young Ryan Dalian. Astaroth ain't having none of it. He tries to grab Lucifer's book and begin another chant, but the book explodes as the light continues to fill the catacombs of the unholy shrine. And suddenly, Astaroth is now doing a full frontal body burn as he screams Lucifer's name. Lucifer, save and contorts and then explodes into particles, bone, and ash. Time to take young Ryan Dalian to the brightly lit, blessed shrine of Adele. As he arrives, the still-possessed young Ryan Dalian begins to contort. But the township father and the young Chris, who is now doing jumping jacks, begin to assert God's love can save them. The young Ryan Dalian growls and groans. But the overwhelming power and light of what looks to be like a glowing nun provides illumination for all. Young Ryan Dalian screams! And as his screams subside, Mickey, Jack, and Johnny look upon a cleansed young Ryan Dalian, who says, Who are you? I'm Jack Marshak. You're my uncle's friend. You came to my house once. Mom made you dinner. Young Ryan wants to know, where's my mom? We'll take you to her, says Jack Marshak. Mickey saunters into frame, and now Mickey and young Ryan have a conversation about he too has a young red-haired cousin named Mickey, and the townsfolk begin to sing a holy interlude. Each of them begin packing off in candled line to live another day. Later that week, inside the set of the airport that we always see inside of these episodes, a young Ryan is sprinting towards his mother. Young Ryan's mom can't quite believe what she's seeing, nor can Ryan. Aren't you going to hug me? This really is Ryan. You don't remember me, do you? Mickey comforts young Ryan, and he confirms that though his mother looks a little bit different, she's still the prettiest woman in the whole world. A good cry ensues as the credits roll. Goodbye, Ryan Dalian. Every episode of Friday the 13th has goods and bads. Time to focus on the good. Offering an existing actor slash character a complimentary wrap-up when leaving. This is something I really can't wait to talk to John LeMay about. Yeah. Because I think all of us can remember, and we have several samples that we'll run through inside of the goods and bads of this episode. We can all remember a show in the past, whether it's been a syndicated television show, a feature film, a feature film franchise, when something changes. Mm-hmm. And when an actor leaves, it really is up to the creative powers and the people in charge to bother to give an actor leaving a decent crescendo Mm -hmm. with which to leave. And I was elated completely 
that this was at least a good send off because we've again, we all have samples of you got to be kidding me when characters and or actors want to leave a show inside of the litany of history of television. Yeah, yeah. Usually it's, and again, it's it, usually it doesn't, it's not handled well because they don't care. The studios, I should say, don't really care. It's, it's all about keeping the show going. Uh, also, if they're going to get rid of a character, it usually ends up happening in between seasons to where you just have a, uh, I don't know, like a throwaway line or a blip. stock footage yeah. of the character and then. A, bu- a building explodes or a plane crashes or something like that. and I can't uh, believe they're gone, man. And they're gone. Oh, my God. Yeah. No. Yeah. You know, things like that. Uh, this right here, I mean, at least we get we get an ending for the character. We get... We, what we also get, and again, this is really what I want to ask John about, is we get what I think was a great acting portrayal exit for him. Mm, yes, definitely. The, 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 there, there have been other series where it's literally the guy shows up on camera and looks at the camera and then turns and walks into a into a blur shot. We've had that. Mm-hmm. We've had that inside a television series memorial and that this was I think a fully fledged f- completely fleshed out end for an actor that was done inside of this role and they want to step the story forward. I, I and I liked it. I, I thought if you had to leave, this is definitely something that you can take and I, I think also use as what I thought was a really great acting set. This was what I wanted to see at the end of season two with Coven of Darkness. Yes, I agree. With I that. wanted to see the I wanted to see evil Ryan. Yeah, and we didn't get that in that episode. Unfortunately, yeah. we got very sweaty, panicky. Ah, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Here though, we actually get to see the acting range of John Lemay. Yeah, I love it. And we get this. Uh, it's a great way to send a character and an actor off of a show. High stakes devil action. Whether it's the acting of Fritz Weaver, whether it's the rules and the machinations that are put in place by the writing and creative staff, or the people that were capturing it, i.e. the director, the people that are doing the camera work, all of it. Hmm. I love the dip with both feet into this thickly laced piece of culture that you're given to to not only propel the story, but to force fast forward the story inside of all the devil action that happens inside this episode. Mm. There is clear good and there is clear bad, and it doesn't get any badder than this. It's the devil, dude. It's the devil. And the devil should be treated as a serious threat when used as a plot device. Yeah. And unfortunately, where the show is concerned, you know, the show where all of the cursed items were cursed by... The devil. The past few times the devil has shown up, not so intimidating. Right. And again, to go back to it, because it's super easy, Wedding in Black. It's so easy to pick on Wedding in Black. Because it, it is a, it, it's a prime example of too much ruins a story. Yeah. And they would just had way too much going on in that story. Take away everything. If you just focused on trying to convert Mickey to the dark side and allow Satan in so that he can impregnate her and walk the earth. That's so, all you yeah. need in a story. Yeah. You don't need an enchanted snow globe that must be destroyed from the inside. You don't need visiting 
dead people from, you know, our characters' past lives trying to... You don't need all of that. You you overcomplicate things. Mm -hmm. And when you keep it simple, stupid, K-I-S-S, that's the... That, live your life like that, man. Do it in storytelling, and you can you get away with it. Now, this, of course, two episodes. Mm -hmm. When it originally aired, it was essentially like a movie. It was mm -hmm. a made-for-TV movie, kind of a feel to it. So you get the full scope of what is going on here, and they stay on point. Yes. They they don't overcomplicate things. They try. They try. I mean, the whole Ryan's mom mysteriously coming back, all of a sudden, we understand why that's important because of the end of the episode. But before all that happens, it's like, what this this plot thread is almost as useless as Johnny Ventura. Yeah. Yes, very well said. And there's a whole bunch of those things that we'll also get to inside the bads of this episode. The power of Christ compels you. This was very interesting. Again, I like it when there are polarities showcased inside of something that is good and inside of something that is bad. Just like our podcast. <laughs> yes. Where we got goods and we got bads and then the clashing together of them and then everybody gets to think about it. It's exactly what you get inside of this episode is the power of Christ compels everybody in the township to begin trying to override all the bad shit that's going on across town. It's something that we've talked about. You've actually brought it up quite a bit, uh, especially in the later episodes of season two, the whole dark side of witchcraft. Yes, Absolutely. And I feel when you represent both sides equally, you have a more balanced story. Yes. And it's more interesting. It, it is more interesting. Now, of course, this the whole setting of our story is a place where miracles happen. Right. People gather once a year because Sister Adele can perform miracles here at this, this tiny little fountain waterfall-esque oasis shrine. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Okay, so the power of faith. And we talk about the power of faith through both of these episodes mm -hmm. to an to an almost frustrating point to where, come on, Sister Adele, pick up that, that cross and protect yourself. I mean, I, I don't think, I get nuns can't have sex and, and do fun things, but they can at least try to protect themselves. I, I mean, I don't think there's anything in the Bible that says thou can't protect thyself from possessed dude who wants to strangle you uh, maybe that shows how pure she is because she doesn't want to do any harm even if it is to yeah. somebody who wants to do harm to her I'm, I'm, oh, I'm, okay i'm absolutely certain that somebody in our audience is going to chime in and share something that you and i aren't privy to mm, probably and, and i love that that's I, and that's great and that is actually why we put this piece in this in the positives is because i love that that is showcased completely well, it needs to be showcased, but it wasn't showcased as powerful as the devil stuff. Agreed. The devil stuff, Agreed. it's, it's I, I don't want to compare it to it, but I will. So think of Star Wars, think of the Force, the light side, the good side. It's harder to be a Jedi because you have rules, and you have guidelines, and there's stipulations, and it's harder to go through the training to be able to use the Force, but once you do it, you can do great things. The dark side, it comes easy because it comes from a place of negativity, of anger, of hatred, of pain. Impulse, right. Right. Mm -hmm. So they can do more powerful things, but they're not as long-lasting. Every time Astaroth uses the Devil's power, it goes away eventually. It, it doesn't sustain itself. Right. It's used to scare people. Mm -hmm. Whereas by the end of this episode, 
it's almost it, it, I almost wanted to say while we were watching it, it's like it's like God finally gets off of his chair and go like, all right, enough of this and turns the light on. Yeah. You know, you have the power, the, the light of Christ, the light of God. And had we had something like that show up in the first episode within the first 15 minutes of the first episode, well, then it's like, all right, well, why can't God just come down here and take care of all of this? There had to be certain circumstances and the stakes were high enough to where it makes sense that the solution for this episode is, all right, hi, God, going to step in. Fine. Yeah. And works for me. I, I, you've also identified something there that is also inside of this point, but really inside of everything of the positives that we're talking about, mm. which is the stair-stepping of stakes. Mm, yes. In yep. particular, the incredibly powerful dark ones that must somehow be challenged. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I really appreciated that inside of this episode. And it it's something that I know inside of previous episodes where we specifically have not just the cursed items that are cursed by the devil. I get it. Mm-hmm. I understand all that. Right. But I'm talking about like, all of the stuff where, hey, look, devil, inside of previous episodes, you never get the level of stakes that are shared inside of this episode as you do inside of those. I, 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 and that's what I want. Yeah. I want there to be dire shit going on, and there has to be intervention, or everything is lost. Mm. And I felt that inside this episode for sure. And that's where we ask you guys, what did you find positive inside this episode? The second offering of the prophecies inside of season two of Friday the 13th, the series. Let us know what you think by going to our website over at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what you think. Inside of every episode of Friday the 13th, the series, there's goods and there's bads. We've covered the goods. Now let's take a look at some of those not-so-goods. Could have been a better send-off for Ryan. Now, I know we talked in the goods of how this was a great Mm send-off for the character of Ryan. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a double-edged sword. (laughs) It's definitely a double-edged sword. Yeah. Okay, on the even though we're in the bads, let's look at the positive side. So we haven't killed off a character... We've just reverted him in age. Okay, so technically Ryan could come back. In in my mind, it was one of those safety net things. It's like, we're not going to kill him off just in case John LeMay wants to come back someday. Then Hocus Pocus Alamogokus, and and he gets to revert back to his normal age, had some time with his mom, maybe a more well-adjusted character when we see him again. Uh, Somehow a twist on big. Yes, reverse big. And instantly happens, and suddenly he's back, and look, season four. So so there, there is the good that is hidden inside this bad. But let's examine the bad. Reverted to a child? I didn't get it. I didn't <sighs> get it. I, I, I understand the whole innocence thing, and I even understand, okay, so the devil can't take over the holy ridden child of... Chris, the wheelchaired girl. Right, because so, she hasn't, she, she forsakes him. Right, and so the option will be to revert this dude back to a child so that he can take over that body? Yeah. I mean, is that, uh, is that where we're going? That's where we were going. Okay. I, I don't know how we got there because no, the, you know, being stabbed was all a part of killing Chris yeah. so that Satan could resurrect himself inside of her corpse. Yeah. Because it's like, well, if you won't let me in, I'll just break on down. But we've got to kill you first. Right. 
So I don't see how the stabbing, Ryan sacrificing himself and getting stabbed reverts him into a child. I think that's one of those convenient plot points that just kind of gets swept under the rug because, oh, look, we've only got about seven minutes left of this episode. We got to wrap this up. And we don't want to kill off Ryan Dalian. Yeah, that's something we're going to have to definitely ask John about. I think John could probably give us the name of uh, one of the writing staff that would also be willing to showcase either some of what was going on in the writing room then, Mm -hmm. because it is the conversation that somebody had to have. Somebody inside the room had to go, I understand what you're going to do, but I don't think I get it. Right. I I refuse to believe that there wasn't somebody in the room. Inserted plot stints. This didn't happen in the first half, but it happened a lot in the second half. Yeah. And for those that aren't familiar with the word stint, let's talk about the word stint for a second. I inserted the word stint because of what you and I were bantering about. We were searching for the word. And a stint is what is put into either an artery or a vein to open it up so that blood flow can occur inside of someone who's suffering from some sort of processing heart ailment usually. And it just, it allows there to be an active avenue for something to go back and forth. Mm -hmm. And that's what a lot of the things inside of the second episode felt like. Like we got this over here and we got this over here and I don't know how the hell we're going to do it, but mm, let's try this. It's it's writing yourself into corners and then coming up with the way to get out of that corner. Some writers can do it brilliantly. Other writers, not so. This is very middle of the road because yeah. some of it makes sense. Just the execution wasn't handled well. Mm-hmm. Jack Marshak's miraculous memory resurrection to consciousness. Instant knowledge could have been handled better than just using pieces of the previous frickin' episode, turning it into a 30-second clip show. I find that completely unnecessary. I hate it. You could have filmed new stuff, including new dialogue, to go with the other dialogue that you wanted inserted there from earlier in the episode and the previous episode. But we don't get that, so it's we're limited to just recycling stuff that we've already heard, and we're supposed to just hope it makes sense. Yeah. The thing is, is that for me, I'm like, oh, okay, I get what you're doing. For you, because you're writing the, you're taking the notes, you didn't know what the hell was going on. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Jack is awake. And then all of a sudden, Jack missing. finds Leisure yeah. Suit Larry. Yeah. And knows that this is the father of the girl who has powers who has been taken, it doesn't make any sense, but it does make sense because of the dialogue choices that they chose to use in the flashback memory dump. Yeah. Yes. I call bullshit on that. I, that that I, could I, have I been too. handled so much better. I, I do too, and unfortunately it happens in far too many things. Mm. There, there, are, there are tons of stories, in particular inside of just standard television, where a character that is inside of the entourage of characters, whether it be a regular character or a new recently inserted character because there needs to be some dialogue, they instantly know something that the only people that have ever seen that are the people watching the show. Mm. Not all of the char- not even all the characters have seen what this person knows. And 
your brain just kind of skips by it because that's the way your brain works. Right. But if you go back and you start even just remotely picking at the pieces of, of peeling paint, you instantly peel off four and a half square inches of paint and it doesn't look right. Mm. And that's what happened here. The fact that I have to say something like, Jack Marshak suddenly knows everything that he needs to know because, insert reasons. I, I don't care for that at all. Yeah, the same thing ha- The same thing with the ending. In my experience, where occult stories are concerned, it's one way or the other, mm-hmm. period. And the best way to for Satan to reign, it's the, the corruption of innocence, mm-hmm. flat out. Period. And we were trying to get that. Mm-hmm. Worship him and he'll allow you to walk. Look at the power that he has. Your God hasn't uh, fixed your legs, but Satan did. Look at that. Just praise him. But she doesn't. Well, game over. It, game game yeah. is over. But Maybe, it's like, oh, no, have, it's okay. Plan B, have, well, we have, kill you and he just resurrects himself inside your corpse. What? So we just decided to change the rules. Well, and something that you may have just said does Ryan have to turn young because it needs to be some needs to be someone of innocence? And that's why he doesn't know who he is. He doesn't have any memories. Has no memories whatsoever. So it's it's the and last. So is that why he has to be transformed to a child and then then cuz remember after he gets after he gets transformed, he's not dead. Mm-hmm. Jack goes and grabs him, takes him to the shrine and then he starts going gonzo goo goo because Right, he gets his exorcism. Right. The demon the, the hold of Satan is off right. of him. So if they had not done that, then he would then be Hellspawn, right? Yes. Okay. So maybe that's but, why he had to be transformed into a child? But, again, how does stabbing him with a bone shard do that? Mm. See, yeah, had there been it, had, had plan it's, B it's, been, it's okay. It's if, vague. Well, well, right, but had plan <clears throat> B been, well, okay, well, if she won't worship Satan, then I need a child. Hmm, let me look in my book. Oh, I'll revert the disciple that I've converted into a child and we'll do the, the ritual through him. Well, that makes it a little bit no, more nefarious because now it's being forced upon him mm-hmm. instead of a plot stent that we need to insert to keep the heart of this episode yeah. beating. I agree. I agree. Unanswered and useless plot threads. Super frustrating. We are going to keep this train going because there yeah. was a lot of things that were introduced in the first half of this two-parter that led nowhere. Yeah, no place. Let's start off with something that you and I both thought was extremely cool because it was very subtle. The arrival of all of the, uh, let's just say, misfit-looking toys. Yes, to the town as as things got closer and closer to this festival. You and I surmised that, oh, well, all the Satanists, they know something's up here and they're all they're they're coming to the it, town now it's, too. It's the Black Clarion call. Yeah. And, and I love me some of that. It's whenever we start talking about things like uh, the, the the story outlines are something like Dark Tower mm-hmm. and the stand and where there's all this one and there is a call, and there is a there is a journey, mm-hmm. and and the dark one. And I love all that stuff. And what I always love is that there are these different characters, all of which look out of place that they showed us at mm-hmm. least four, four or five times, at least, at least. And what do we get from that? 
you get nothing, sir. Yeah. Zero. They don't even show them again. Yeah. Well, I mean, after the light of God shows up, it's like, oh, man, this party's lame. Let's go. <sighs> I wanted them to. What I, what I really was thinking was that one of them was going to be the one. Hmm. That came, and then that would be the you know the devil for us to fight and 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 have the battle inside this episode. Mm. Well, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. What I also then thought was like, okay, well, so are they the the minions of hell? You know, is it is it the characters that have come to help advance the plans of the devil? Is that who these people are? And all of that was put on this wonderful platform in the first episode. Well, you get no soup at all. Yeah. And I hated that. Another thing, as I'm as I'm sitting here watching the the episode before the light of God stuff happens, I'm looking at them because they're gathered with everybody else, and then I start getting that idea like, oh, well, what if they weren't devil worshippers? What if these were? What if they were angels coming to see how things were going to turn out? Hmm. One of my all time favorite religious cult based movies of the 90s is prophecy starring christopher walken mm. oh yeah and yeah, yeah. eric stoltz yeah. and elias Coteus. great freaking movie about the war between heaven and hell and and earth is in the middle and the humans are in the middle and all of that and angels are dicks most of them are same thing in supernatural you know once they introduce the whole concept of demons and then angels and like heaven and hell exist. Guess what, guys? They exist. Angels are dicks. They kind of just stand around and watch. And I started thinking, oh, are are we gonna have some like heavenly voyeurs watching what's going on? Yeah, super fans. And then as they walk away, you see like, you know, the 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 superimposed transparency of wings and things like that. And you go, Oh, they were angels all along. I would have even been fine with that. That would have been cool because at least it would have done something with this plot thread of the mysterious unwashed showing up to this town. But we get nothing. Another thing that was completely and totally useless. Guess who? If you take this person out of the out of the equation of both episodes, nothing happens narrative-wise. You want to know who that character is? Um um too um. late. Johnny Ventura. Johnny serves no purpose except for giving Mickey somebody else to run around with in the second half. And for someone and for someone to talk for the mom to talk to. That's it. Well, guess what? Keep him in whatever city, Canada, we're in that the shop is based. Right. Why don't Mickey use some of her lady balls and just say, Hey, you haven't arrested me. I'm leaving. Kiss my grits. Yeah. And, you know, be a strong female character. But again, you know, it's the late 80s. We're still not getting a whole bunch of those in horror. Mm -hmm. Sadly. Because horror is wrapped up in strong female characters. But those characters are pushed mm -hmm. into that position. Right. You wouldn't think that they were strong to begin with. They're pushed into those positions. This is a TV series, though. We've seen Mickey go through this yeah. shit. Mm -hmm. And I know it's not going to, it, it, I, I can't magically wave a, a wand and the next episode we watch, Mickey's going to be gonna written be like a badass. Right. Right. She's not. Right. But if this show was made today, Mickey wouldn't stand for any of that right. crap. Well, we, we, we talked about this a little bit inside of the Wedding in Black review too, which is, 
not not that Mickey was wasted inside that episode, but that after a period of time with all the all the cursed things that have happened, there is a an accumulated set of knowledge that every single one of these characters that there should never be a time where any of our uh, trio are ever surprised by anything that is cursed. It doesn't mean that they can't be surprised by a, like a trait, but they should always have this asserted common knowledge of holy shit. They need to be and, guarded. And absolutely. And and I, I don't like it when they dummy them down or they make them stupid because we need them to be stupid right now for this episode. Okay. Yeah. I don't, it won't I be don't scared if they, if they are expecting something to happen. I, I, I don't dig that. And I don't think that either three of them can tolerate that inside of where we are inside the series because of their accumulated knowledge base. Right. This, I mean, I, I could have bought this for like first half of season one for Mickey and Ryan. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Not the beginning of season three. Right. Not the beginning of season three at all. Well, those were the bads for this episode of Friday the 13th, the series. But we want to know what you thought could have used a little work. Head on over to our website at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the web form and let us know your thoughts. We're running a bit long here during this episode of the Curious Goods Podcast. We will be right back. Make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. Editing podcasts can be ugh, rough. Everyone knows that you'll spend at least double the time you use creating the podcast when editing it. Then there's the control freak factor and the gotta get it right the first time. Well, it's time to shove all that out the door and make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. The Editor Core is a talented, experienced team of podcast editors that have edited tens of thousands of hours of podcast content, and they're ready for yours now. Check out EditorCore.com because it's time to make your podcast soar. EditorCore.com. That's EditorCore.com. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can. With perpetual advertising, here's how it works. Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even if your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment, real impact, thanks to perpetual advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From the voice box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com.
everyone. Welcome back to the Curious Goods Podcast, a retelling, a revisit, and a complete educational detailing of each and every episode of Friday the 13th, the series. This time, it's Season 3, Episode 2, The Prophecies, Part 2. Every time we come back from break, it's time to showcase our manifest moments. Our manifest moments are where Nick and I recognize either an actor's portrayal, a storytelling element inside this episode, or something else that trips our collective review night. Fantastic. Nick, what do you got? My manifest moment for this episode has got to be John LeMay pulling off a hell of a performance Uh wearing those Scalaro lenses. How about that? Oh, my God. I have heard the horror stories Mm -hmm. of those lenses back in the 70s and 80s i mean that's all you could use you can't see anything Mm -hmm. they completely shut off all moisture to your eyeballs oh wow uh now of course you know modern technology catches up in the 90s and we get we get regular contact lenses that can be dyed in different colors and and you can see through them and you know there's no pain involved Uh, but but man i gotta give props to anybody who can run around Frenchy French town mm-hmm. and go back and forth, back and forth into good Ryan and evil Ryan wearing those lenses and still be able to pull off a kick-ass performance. And that was my manifest moment. I think John LeMay's portrayal here inside this episode, it's easily his best. There's no question. And it's because it's so detailed, mm. but it is not my manifest moment for this episode. Good. Get your own. My manifest moment is... The candlelit vigil scene. I don't think people understand that corralling this many people, Mm. even though it's probably the same people, but just shown in a different set, amassing with the the candlelight vigil candle things. Yeah. I don't think people understand what a feat that is to pull off. And then to have it look so robust inside of a show like this, inside of a backdrop town like that. Mm Mm-hmm. I was really, really impressed with that. I think it's it's easily the what I remember the most from this episode visually. Yeah. I think it was really, really well done. And that's where we ask you guys, what was your manifest moment inside this episode? Let us know what you think by going over to our website. That's CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what your manifest moment was. Ah, vocabulary. The words that make this episode go round. We've got a couple for you. The first one. Resurrection. Resurrection. A very interesting word, but especially interesting inside of this one because it's actually used to resurrect the devil. Hail Satan! So I wanted to make sure we focus on that because obviously inside of all things holy and church-like they're always talking about the resurrection right. and yep. jesus and the whole awesome kick-ass well what about the resurrection of the devil and so i thought it was a very interesting tie-through inside of this episode that again amasses so much power that you just don't i don't i'm trying to imagine the other show that gives us the resurrection of the devil real quick and i don't i, I don't I just don't partake in them, so I don't know. Right. Supernatural handled the devil very interesting. Well, they handled the the whole religious aspect of it very interesting. The whole demons, angels, the devil. Uh, Where angels are concerned, they have to be allowed into a human host. Mm. So they, they, you know, it's always somebody who's devout, 
And they say, hey, okay, you're devout? Okay, I'm using you. It's It's the devotion that allows them in. They don't really get a choice. It's just, oh, I'm I need a body. I need a I need a human earthly body. I'm picking this devote churchgoer. Boom. Demons, well, demons can possess people. It's easier to possess people who aren't good people and they they run amok. Now where the devil is concerned, the devil has to find a host that is just right for him or he goes through the host. The, the, the host will deteriorate. Like if he jumps into just somebody who's very happy and Christian, uh, he can probably control that body for a little while, but it's going to deteriorate real quick. But somebody that is is in that perfect moral gray area to let the devil in, that body's going to last a lot longer. Mm. So, and again, you know, I love Supernatural, so the those aspects... When you can make the kooky wackiness of demons and angels and things like that make sense and have rules, I'm very appreciative of that. Yeah, I am too. And this I, right here, it's, this it, right here, it does make sense. It's like okay, resurrection of the devil. Sure, okay, fine. Correct. And for those that are curious, the actual definition of resurrection is, according to the New Testament, the rising of Christ on the third day after the crucifixion. Our second word inside the vocabulary segment is... Divine Intervention. When we started this episode, I was searching for a word that would describe the ball of light slash silhouette that is showcased here Mm. to showcase what is going on with the holy powers of intervention. And then you said divine intervention. Mm. And it's perfect. Yeah, What I also liked about this is that the the showcase of this inside the episode, we didn't mention inside the review, but they blow out the light of everything inside of this. I mean, like, seriously, like 17 on the dial. And it's appreciated. There's there's just enough being screened through that you can make things coming out. And, And I appreciated that completely for the episode. It totally fit inside this episode. That's where we ask you guys, what did you have for vocabulary from this episode? There's so much here. So tell us what you think by going over to our website over at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what you think. Episode rating. Time for the rating inside this, the second episode of the launch of season three. The Prophecies Part Two. The scale works thusly. A 10 is on top of the heap. Being able to relive your teenage years because, gosh, you wouldn't want to. A 1 is on the bottom of the heap. Doing a full body burn ablaze because you are one of the devil's henchmen. Everything starts as a 7 is an average. The numbers go up with positives. The numbers go down with negatives. And Nick? There are no halvesies. Nick, what do you got? There was a lot of things wrong in this episode, and I wonder, had we watched it all in in one sitting Mm -hmm. and rated it all together, Mm -hmm. would my my opinion be different? Mm -hmm. Probably not. This two-parter starts off strong. That first half, awesome. Not perfect, but it was very awesome. This one, not as awesome. So... 
I cannot give this episode anything more than an eight. Now, if you take the two episodes and put them together as one full story, I would rate that story a nine. I think the rating for this episode is probably simpler than you and I are putting into words here. One, we have what is easily the biggest point inside of this episode, which is the send-off of Ryan Downton. Yeah. There, there's no question. There's a lot of things that are painted inside this episode. There are a ton of concepts that we have seen inside of previous episodes before. But the accomplishment of being able to send off appropriately in a literal positive light, Ryan Dalian. Mm. I love that inside this episode. There were definitely detracting elements, but when it's all added up, I give this episode an eight. If I've got to join the two superpowers showcased inside of this episode, I think I would also chalk it up to a nine. And that's where we ask you guys, what was your individual score? I.e., what was your score for this episode? Season three, episode two. The prophecies are two. And then your collective score that's going to be the first and second parts compiled together. Let us know what you think by going over to our website real quick. That's CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form, toss in the numbers, and tell us why you thought the way that you did. Well, it's good to have another episode of the Curious Goods Podcast mm-hmm. in the books. We're ready to continue on. Ad- what? Jeez. Ah, what is, the, what is why that? Why is the light? Why? Oh, it's so bright. Blinding light. Ah. My God. What? What? That, that was amazing. An incredible light, Nick. What? What? Huh? What? Nick, you, you look like you're 12 years old. Ah, uh, crap. I've, I've reverted back to before puberty. Well, hey, look at the bright side. At least you didn't have to get killed by some human bone shard. Your jokes are not appreciated, Mike. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Curious Goods Podcast. We are always interested in learning what you remember about these enchanted items and their tales of reacquisition. Connect with us immediately at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com to share your treasured information. Until the next artifact reveals itself, the vault is now closed. An incredibly engaging conversation with one Johnny Fever. That was WKRP in Cincinnati. Uh, uh, Johnny Ventura. Sorry, Johnny Ventura. What is going on with the holy powers of intervention? And then you said divine intervention. Mm. And it's perfect. Yeah. It, it, (laughs) I I forgot the self-centered piece of this. I do what I can for this podcast. (laughs)